0: Hold that please Level 5 Thank you Ah you must be one of our new interns
1: Yeah hi Nice to meet you
0: Hi Now the most important thing to know Is to Ertz in the bypassal Rise plug sale
1: The most important thing is what? Sorry
0: The single most important thing Is to Ertz in the Channelized Bingbingus At the bypassal Rise plug sale And you'll be fine
1: Err uh, yeah That sounds important Does
2: work chattel sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how.
3: Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. We're well, listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. We've got the usual busy show ahead. We'll briefly look back on another draw between West Indies and England in the second test, and we'll discuss some of the key selection issues ahead of Thursday's winner-takes-all series decider with every ball live and exclusive here on TalkSport 2. As well as that, uh, you'll hear from England interim head coach Paul Collingwood And could the man he replaced be back in work on the international stage soon? We'll also look ahead to the two must-win final group games for England at the Women's World Cup. You're listening to The Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2. Harmi's just arrived in Grenada and um, uh, I'm delighted to tell you, Harmi, that uh, we are enjoying the warmest day of the year. In London, it's well over 20 degrees and um, I've got the shorts on for the first time <laughs> since last summer. <laughs> it's, it's an absolute delight. Uh, so, so there. <laughs> yeah, um, thank you.
4: Thank you. It's uh, it's a little bit warmer where we are. Me and Butch sampled the local,
1: local hospitality? hospitality, I
4: think, at the hotel we had yesterday. Um, but that was just to drown our sorrows of coming to it on 10 days of, wow, what can we call it? Average, I would say, average pitches, average cricket. From an excitement point of view, and fingers crossed, we get a, a good decider on a good pitch and going at it.
3: Oh, gee whiz! Uh, please, please, just give the bowlers some help. I mean, there's so much to to question. Um, one thing I don't think is worth questioning was Joe Root um, uh, and the declaration. Um, for goodness' sake, you know, people were saying, "Oh, well, he should have declared when Johnny Bairstow was out. Should, should have set them to you know, he fiddled around for fifteen minutes. It's just all nonsensical. I mean, you know, you you needed another half a day.
4: You did, yeah. And look, I think he could have went when Dan Lawrence got out, and I think he was going to. I think when the the, the cameras were panning on him, he was coming out when Dan Lawrence was coming. But then when Dan Lawrence got out in the middle of the over, and, and I think there was a there was a moment where himself and Joe Root Paul Collingwood went to each other. And I thought he was going to do it then. And then the must have just wanted that little little security. And they the carried on till lunch. And what are, people are going to remember as well. And you can say, we should have declared before lunch. We'd lost them overs anyway. We'd lost them overs anyway because you lose two plus the one you're in. So you lose three overs. By declaring at lunch means you didn't lose any overs. So he still would have had the same amount of overs. Even if he had declared before lunch, he would have just gotten a little crack at a little crack out the West Indies before Mark, an over or two before lunch as opposed to after. Because them, you know, them overs were lost. Maybe he's getting one more over in the grand scheme of things in the game. And that wouldn't have done any difference whatsoever. Pitches were flat. I thought Joe did. It was a good declaration in, in Antigua trying to win the game. I thought it was a, a, a good declaration in Barbados trying to win the game. There's a lot of positives. There's a huge amount of positives. And I've only seen that, and I'm saying this because I've only seen that through my own eyes. I probably wouldn't be saying it if I was at home because I, I haven't seen it. But having been in this bubble around this group and around this team, I've been very, very impressed the way the way the boys have conducted themselves, the way they've trained, the way they've played, um, and as well the way they've been led as well by Paul Collingwood.
3: Okay, um, there are two. Two more topics uh, to discuss. I want to um, ask you about Saki Mahmoud and Matt Fisher, but you've mentioned Paul Collingwood. Let's hear from the man himself.
2: You know, we were always chasing the game. I guess the pace of his innings. Um, we we felt as though we were a, a kind of a session and session and a half behind the game. And I thought, as I said, our efforts to uh, try to catch up and and enforce the game, enforce the issue, was um, was exceptional. It just shows where we are um, in a mindset. Uh, we want to win. Um, and um, you know the guys are going out there and, and, and trying to get ourselves in positions to uh, to win matches, but uh, it wasn 't a B, but if we continue with that same kind of attitude, then uh, it 'll just be around the corner
3: that 's Paul Collingwood, interim head coach. Um, he has said that uh, he would very much like the position full time i 've got a couple of questions for you. Um, is there enough distance between him and the players? Has he been retired long enough? Is that even a factor? I mean, he's been fulsome in his, in his praise, he, maybe even you know, slightly over, to, over the top at, at times in his praise for the players. Is he capable of being hard enough and distant enough? Is he a serious candidate in your, your view?
4: In my view, he is. Yeah, he is hard enough on players. He's ruthless. I've been on the end of that at Durham. I was on the end of it. So I know what he's like. Uh, I've been around Paul Conway for long enough. We, are, we, we had a fallen out for a lot of years because of how he's seen the game played and completely different to where I've seen the game played. And I'm not sitting sitting here saying that he should be given the job because he's a friend. I'm saying he should be given the job because he's the best candidate out there. Not because I want an England coach. These These players, he's got a connection with these players and it's... He's different to Chris Silverwood. There is a hardness of Paul Collingwood. There's a ruthlessness of Paul Collingwood. I don't think that was in Chris Silverwood. I always thought that the dynamic was the wrong way around when Paul was behind and not in front. And I think the distance between him playing and you know, not playing, I think I, I think he's I think he's all right with that. I think he's comfortable with that in the surroundings, along with Marcus Trusovac. John Lewis, Jeeton Patel. I've seen four guys here who have worked very, very hard. And they are given the responsibility of the players. The players have got responsibility of it's your career. You know, you own your career. You we'll help you guide you down a down a road. But it's up to you as a, an individual to go and go and perform and put pressure on people to pro- perform. And that's what that's what these four guys do with their disciplines of batting bowling, spin bowling. So, and I think Paul leads them very, very well and I wouldn't have any question. You'll not thank me for saying this. I'd give him the red ball job after seeing what I've seen this week or this this month rather than he was a shoe in for the, the white ball job. I think you could give him both, to be honest, because he enjoys being away from home. He, he enjoys the fact that he's, he's, in with, he's in with the lads, he's in with the group. He, he can detract himself from it and I think I would give him I would definitely give him the Red Bull job because I think the Red Bull needs somebody, somebody like Paul. I, I really do. The White Bull job you can give it to anybody. You can get you can get one of your level level four coaches who's gone through all his badges and you, you can bring him out of you know Tom Noddy Club cricket. And he could coach the the White Bull team because all he has to do is pick his bag up and go from venue to venue because Owen Morgan is is in total control and he's doing a great job at it. So. I would actually give this group to 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 Collie and Trez and and Cheetan and and Lewis, and I think they started off very very nicely over here.
3: Okay, and um, as far as Mahmoud and Fisher are concerned, I mean it was a bit like uh, having a look at a talented young sprinter making him run barefoot on a beach. You know, you, you I don't know how much you can learn um, about about not not talking about their pace, um, but. But you know what? Um, The consensus from, from this end was that uh, whatever boxes they could tick, they did.
4: I thought they did as well. I really did. I was very, very happy the way the two of them performed on a pitch, which was a shocker. <laughs> and I thought, I thought Fisher hit better areas than Mahmoud with the harder ball, with the newer ball. But I thought Mahmoud was... Used well by Joe Root in the time that was needed. And he delivered his skills properly, which was when the ball was reversing the wicket was getting obviously slower and lower and he hit good areas there. He bowled a shorter length and then he, he, he got it right up there and give it a chance to reverse swing. So first impressions and you never know, you really don't. You could have somebody come out of first class cricket who's got a million wickets, a million wickets, but if the temperament's not right, freeze on the big stage, don't just, don't do it at, international level but I think these two hit the ground running hard they've had tougher baptism I'd actually throw them back out there I really would I really would I know you will talk about picking teams later on but for what they've come here for England are now scoring runs I play a fish in my mood with Ben Stokes and I play the two spinners in, in Grenada if we get surface I've not seen the surface yet okay if we get a surface like this
3: three spinners harmy three spinners because we've yeah. all fallen in love with dan lawrence now do do you know i mean he, his batting's been lovely it's been selfless it's been creative and just terrific and i hope he gets a run at number four now but did you know that he had bowled less than 200 overs in his first class career before before he's i mean good part-timer and lovely action he has <laughs> yes, he's got he's
4: Confuses a few batsmen by a lot of moving parts. And you see, it's a good job I don't have that action. You see his belly for for, for most of it bobbling <laughs> about. But no, I tell you what, he's he's a smashing young man who you see him on the mornings on the field, and he's he's always got a word, he's always quite chipper and cheerful. He batted lovely in this in this test series so far. He really has. I do hope he gets a run at number four. Again, we talk about Joe going to three, makes it easier to bring somebody in to get them used to test match cricket at four as opposed to three. And that that hasn't really detracted from what the team's performance has been because Joe Root's Joe Root and he scored ridiculous amounts of runs and he's comfortable in his own game. So going to, going to three hasn't affected the team, but it has affected the team in another way. It, it, it's affected the team in a positive way because the person that comes in at number four has felt a lot more comfortable. So I think, again, Lawrence, so far so good. It's hard, to, it's hard to really judge somebody, and I think the same with Fisher and Mahmood, till they've had that run in the side, till they've had them games both away and then at home. And I think Alex Lees is in that boat as well. But so far, so good. I think the, the, the environment and the attitude and the application and the hard work that these have shown so far, I'll stand them in good stead for, you know, for the foreseeable future.
3: You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. Next up, we get the West Indies viewpoint as they name an unchanged squad for Thursday's third and final test. Every ball live and exclusive here on TalkSport 2. Delighted to say, as promised, we're joined by Michelle St. Patrick Hewitt from the Caribbean Cricket Podcast to look at things from a West Indian point of view. Uh, Michelle, first of all, how have the pitches uh, been received um, in the Caribbean?
1: I think, let's, let's look at it from two angles. Um, I'll give the cynical point of view first and foremost. Have these pitches deliberately been quote-unquote doctored to last five days because financially it's the best thing to do? I couldn't say, but I don't understand the merit of producing these tracks for watchable test cricket. The, the people that matter in Cricket West Indies have made it very clear that that wasn't what was requested. Um, and I, I believe them because at the end of the day, if you have the bowling attack that West Indies have, why would you want a flat deck? The only way to beat England would be to create a, a, a deck that allows Jaden Seals, Kimar Roach, um, Jason Holder to, to challenge the outside edge, challenge the, the technique of England's top six, which has been found wanting. Um, over the last year so I don't think we can look at Cricket West Indies and say what have you done we have to look at the local associations and say what have you done uh, in, in, in creating these um, decks I saw an article with Anthony Merrick the uh, groundsman at Antigua and he pretty much has said um, in their local the Antigua Observer that yeah the, the the track was underprepared he's given mitigating reasons and circumstances for it but he's admitted as much that yeah, it was flat. And I really wish I hadn't prepared a flat deck. So on that side, yeah, we can we can kind of say that point of view. On the on the other point of view, it also kind of is what it is. It, it, it's test cricket. You get given a you get given a, a pitch to play with. Both sides have to have to deal with the same wicket. And in some ways, you could say, particularly looking at the second test with Craig's knock, that at the end of the day, if Craig Brathwaite doesn't produce the knock he produces in Barbados, England win. So it's not as simplistic as just saying, well, it's a flat deck, because actually Craig's not saved the Test match. Listen, I think we're all going to be in agreement here. Nobody wants the same track in Grenada. At least we can say that. We want some kind of even bat and ball contest in Grenada.
4: Yeah, if we get the same track in Grenada, I'm going on even before Day 1, never mind after Day 1, because it has been a challenge for everybody, I think, in the um, watching, delivering, playing on. The, the, there have been challenges from from both sides because both bowling units I don't think they're up to taking 20 wickets on a on a on a deck like that so we're going to need some more grass engranator. but how pleasing was it you know talking about the bowling side of it being not up to it but how pleasing was it from a West Indian to see how well Craig,
1: Craig Brathwaite played proper test match cricket yeah most definitely and um I'm going to hold my hands up and say that I was one of the, I was one of the people saying back in uh, the back end of 2020, I said that Craig's position in the West Indies team was under threat, and it, it was. If I if think people go and study the numbers and what Craig had produced from about 2018 to 2020, arguably he could and perhaps should have been dropped. He lost the vice captaincy, but as tends to happen with some players in world cricket, once he got given the captaincy, his form came back. And almost the responsibility of having to lead the side is since being captain of the West Indies, he's now averaging over 40, um, which in as an opening batsman in test cricket, you can't ask for more than that. Not not in the current uh, kind of climate of the difficulty of opening um, in test cricket. And at the end of the day, as slow and as attritional as it was to watch Craig do that, you have to respect anybody who can, what, I think we've all been speaking about it. he was off the field for 19 overs across all five days of that test match. The mental fortitude to, to just stick with it and ensure that his side um, didn't fall to defeat. I'm not saying it's one of the greatest test match knocks of all time. No, it's not. But it's one of the greatest displays of application I've seen um, in, a, in a kind of across a, uh, a five day test match.
3: It's certainly one of the great innings. Um, In fact, one of the great batting performances. I mean, he's actually batted for over half of the test match. You know what? We've all got our favourite statistics. Jack Leach bowled more deliveries to him than any bowler has ever bowled to a batsman in a test match before. There's lots of quirky little stats. But the one that really um, tickled me is that I read that since Craig Brathwaite's test debut in 2013, he has not played. We're talking about a West Indian batsman. He has not played a T Twenty match. Not one at domestic level. He hasn't. He doesn't play T Twenty cricket. That makes him the biggest outlier in the in the modern history of the game.
1: I want. I want to believe that that means it's going to herald in a new generation of Test batsmen for for, for the West <laughs> Indies. Alas. <laughs> Alas, I still think we'll see more Chris gale type opening opening batters, and we'll see Craig Bradway. But um, it, do you know what? Though what it was good to see is that it reminded everyone that there is still a time and a place for different style of cricketers, and that there is no one style of 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 batters. There is no you don't always have to come out and set the pace and move cricket forward quickly. Sometimes you need to grind and you just need to put a price in your wicket. So I think it was good to be reminded that those type of players are important and needed.
3: And Michelle, just um, get a couple of po- more points from me. Um, I don't mean to be disrespectful at all because I know he's scored plenty of runs in, uh, domestically. But John Campbell, um, does he does he get another go? I mean, you know, he, he's looked like a man who averages 23 in test cricket. And do, what other replacements? Is Kyle Mayers in, in line for a an appearance in Grenada?
1: So I don't see John Campbell, John Campbell getting dropped. Um, should he have been recalled? Listen, that, that's a big debate that, that's being had in the Caribbean at the moment. And listen, the reality... And again, I think I think there's some parallels with England here in terms of openers and not being able to find anyone, not sticking with anyone, etc. The reality of the situation is, since Chris Gale retired from Test cricket in 2014, the only opening uh, batter that has made centuries... Um, so what, what's that now? Eight years is Craig Brathwaite. <laughs> we have tried, just to name a few players: Kieran Powell, John Campbell, Shea Hope, Leon Johnson, Devon Smith. Uh, some of these players, Steve Harmison must remember, uh, <laughs> must remember bowling too. And I'm going to be really, I'm gonna be realistic here. None of them were good enough. That, that, that's, that's not me being harsh. I think that's just realistic. Look at their numbers. None of them were good enough. And the reason why I draw parallels to England is what do you do then in that situation? So England have tried Burns, they've tried Hamid, they're currently on Crawley and Lees, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. What do you do when you don't have any openers that can put up any substantial numbers internationally or domestically that's the worst thing they're not even putting them up domestically so I, I actually hope that you two can give me an answer because I don't <laughs> I, I don't know what we're supposed to do um in that situation I think they will persist with John Campbell in Grenada and then if he fails then they can definitively say well we brought you back you got the whole series you failed your time is now up we now go back into uh, the kind of cupboard and look for Someone who's averaging 25 in domestic cricket and they're going to get a chance now. Like I I I literally don't know what you do um, in that scenario, other than think outside the box. And do you tell a middle order batsman to come and open now? Is that is, is that what you do? Is that Crawley an opener, for example? Should he be opening for England? So do we do something like that?
4: Yeah, it's an interesting, interesting point. Whether you go just to sit at the Carl Mayers, off you go. If you wanna you wanna place in the side, you go in first. He did it in T twenty cricket. I know it's a completely different different animal and different game, but that might be the only opening you get. So as an individual, you have to grasp it when, when you do. Looking at the bowling, it's an interesting one. Do you, do you give Jaden Seals a rest? He's 20-year-old. He's played 10 first-class matches, eight of them off, seven of them test matches, three back-to-back games. You're asking a lot of a young body and a young mind. I actually think he's bowling nice and he looks good. Um, so it'll be interesting one. And we'll, we, because there's no Shannon Gabriel, who's still injured, will Anderson Phillips
1: get a go? I mean, like I say, they've, they've kept the same squad. West Indies, when they went to England in 2020, made a crucial error for me. They played the exact same bowling unit for all three <sighs> test matches. Uh, that series was hanging in the balance, 1-1 going into the final test. We didn't rotate at any point in time, and England did rotate. Now, England have already rotated for the first two tests, some due to injury, uh, couldn't be helped, etc., I'm, I'm with you, Harmy. I just don't know if there's merit in this day and age to go three back-to-back tests and on these flat decks as well. Not even like you've been given any help in the first two tests and play the same bowling attack. But given it's nil-nil, do you really give someone a test debut in the final test um, of a series? So to me, it's a gamble. It's a gamble either way. I would assume that both bowling attacks are feeling pretty drained um, right now.
3: And fi- finally, Michelle, the, a couple of, a couple more points from me. The umpiring hasn't been shocking. I've seen series um, where the um, decisions have been worse, uh, but there have been a really high number of over, overrules um, from DRS. Uh, you know, a lot of inside edges onto the pads. I mean, has that been a, a talking point and and while you consider that um you know that these five-day pitches in the first two tests for me it's not so much as simplistic as making sure the barmy army drink lots of beer and spend lots of money for five days it's actually the television time i think you know the caribbean's been struggling obviously with its reliance on tourism and it just seems to me that five days and we've had a lot of beach shots uh, we've had a lot of palm trees, a lot of rum punch shots. And it just, you know, I mean, it seems to me that if the, <laughs> if the Barbados tourism board and the Antigua tourism board had said, listen, we want to have as much time as possible to show the world that the Caribbean is open for business. Can we please go five days? I'm not even being facetious. You know, it really has occurred to me.
1: Well, just dealing with the latter point, I agree. Tourism is king in the Caribbean and it matters. Like I say, I, I think we've, ha- we've had this debate uh, on kind of like the Caribbean Cricket Podcast and with people who have engaged with us on that. I think it has played a huge role in, in this five day snorathon, so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but I don't think you'll get anyone admitting it. That's the thing. I don't think you'll get anyone actually admitting that this all played a role. In terms of your previous question. Uh, umpires. Umpires. Ah, uh, let me see. How are this I allowed to be? Um, Joel Wilson is an elite umpire. <laughs> so <laughs> we've we've all seen Joel Wilson umpire. And it's not about digging out Joel Wilson at the end of the day, but sometimes, sometimes it looks like some of the decisions that they just look a bit like guesswork sometimes. I think that's the best way I could put it. I'm not saying that's what is happening. It just looks like that. And it's got to a point, you know, you know it's not looking good when it's got to a point now where. A team makes an appeal, and you don't know if the umpire is going to give it out, even if it's clearly sliding down leg, and that's not a good sign of of the level of umpiring. If anything's in play, regardless of of um, of how uh, how clear uh, the decision is.
3: Thanks, Michelle. You know what? My theory is that DRS has made some umpires lazy, and uh, you know they if they if they overcome their ego and they don't care if they're overruled or not. I reckon they're just going, well, you know, I'll just give it out. You know, if it's close, give it out. Cause uh,
1: the the right decision will be made. DRS will get me out of the hole. I've never considered that. You know, I always thought that an umpire didn't want to be shown up by DRS. (laughs) I
3: think they're over that now. I think
4: they're (laughs) over that. Yeah. I think they are over it. I don't think that, I don't think that comes in now. I think, yeah, yeah. I think they are lazy. I really do. I think we've got to get back to, got to get the best umpire, umpire in as many test match games as we possibly can. And, i even go even further enough, because of so few test matches around the world now. You talk about elite panel, like you just said there. I think there should be a, a set panel for test matches only, and they should be the best 10, 12 umpires in the world. And they just go around the world doing uh, test match cricket because they seem to have better concentration and they are comfortable with the decisions they make. Unfortunately, the ones that we've got here at the minute, I think they would fall well underneath that elite panel.
3: Michelle, I know you need to go, um, but uh, many thanks for your time. It's always a great pleasure to have you on, Um, Michelle. St. Patrick Hewitt, the Caribbean Cricket Podcast. And if you're not subscribed, do so. It's worth it.
1: Thanks very much, guys. uh, uh, A pleasure. You're
3: listening to The Cricket Collective here on TalkSport2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. Next up, we'll discuss what changes England should make for Thursday's third test – with every ball, live and exclusive here on TalkSport 2. You're listening to The Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with the Institute of Cricket.
0: Now hold that, please. Level 5. Thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns.
1: Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you.
0: Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to Ertz and the Biparsal Rise plug sale.
1: The most important thing is what? Sorry.
0: The single most important thing is to Ertz and the Channel has been Bingus at the Biparsal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine.
1: Uh yeah, that's... Sounds important.
2: Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f***
1: are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass?"
3: You're listening to The Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and the one and only Steve Harmison. If you've missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can download the podcast from the following on feed, now available via the free TalkSport app or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's look ahead to the, to the third test and England's selection options. Ollie Robinson and Craig Overton are not only fit... But likely to be recalled. Does this mean that uh, Chris Woakes, who didn't label himself as leader of the attack, I think I think that was that was us, but he didn't refute it. Does that mean he gets dropped?
4: Yeah, I think he, I think he gets left out of this this team. Unfortunately, he's playing largely down to his batting. His balance of the side is coming in, but don't mind that in Australia when you're 190 all out every week, you've got to have some look up the bowling side of the batting hand but when you're top six or six are performing then and for me you now pick your five for your four best bowling options so unfortunately for chris he falls into that just butler category of nice lads great in the dressing room team man like you'd not believe you want you want him to do well you want him to to perform and he has got He's got all-round qualities. But unfortunately, when your main discipline is letting you down, then question marks need to be looked at. Unfortunately, like Joss, Joss's batting was letting him down. Nothing wrong with his keeping. But unfortunately for Chris, I think Chris Wilkes' bowling has not been up to the standard on these surfaces to be challenging. And I think that's where, that's where England will probably make a change. Whether Robinson's fit, I'm not so sure. I'm really not so sure because I've watched him on... Learn- the last two days of the, the test match in warm-up, bowling to do with John Lewis, and he's bowling with Craig Overton. And I thought he walked off at the end of Barbados. He, he hardly bowled, didn't look anywhere near fit. Um, and if England could just throw him in, if needs must, whether he's fit or not, that's another, the the mindset of that would be, I'd, be not, I'd not be sure. Because for the simple fact is, if he's not quite fit, or if he's just barely fit, he might have to bowl 35, 40 overs on a surface, which is unresponsive. And he only bowls at 78 mile an hour anywhere. So by the time he gets into his later spells, yeah, you know, he, he could be bowling as fast as Jack Leach. So you've got to be careful on selection on that front, that if he's just barely fit, don't play him. I wouldn't play him. And I, I wouldn't play Overton either. I really wouldn't. I think the two kids have shown they've got something about them on this surface through the air. And if the pitch is as flat as what it, what we expect it to be, then England might need a, a second spin option. I know Michael Atherton has said for the last before the last two test matches, and obviously others spends a bit of time out in the Caribbean. And he said all he said all before both games, England should play two spinners, should play two spinners. And I'm with him on this one. If we go, go to a flat one, I'd play Parkinson as well.
3: There's a feeling isn't there that um, Parkinson might sink if you throw him in at the deep end, but you're never going to know. You, you just, you have no choice. I mean, you know what? And and I was talking to, to Butch about this um, at the end of um, the Barbados test match. You can't have doubts. You can't second guess yourself. If you commit to playing Matt Parkinson, you've got to give him the overs. You've got, because he'll bowl you wicket-taking balls. Sure, he might be expensive, but, you know, nobody's really... And, and the, uh, interestingly, actually, you said Chris Wokes has been, has been ineffective on, on these surfaces. Never mind that, he's just bowled poorly, Harmy. I mean, he's, you know, he, you, if one guy you'd expect on a flat wicket to bowl you 12 overs hitting the top of off, it would be Chris Wokes, but he's not done that. He's been, been leg side and shortened all over the place.
4: He has, and that's the, the thing that I found strange with, with how Chris Wokes has performed. Because you're right, he's the one that you can hold your hat on. If he was, if he was not effective because the pitches are slow and he hasn't hasn't really sort of challenged the bat, but I've seen him bowl down leg side more than I've ever in these two games and I've ever seen in his whole career. And whether it's the, I, I put it down to the wind in in Antigua because I thought the wind was howling across the ground. It was very difficult to get your action, but he did it again in Barbados, and I and I just wonder if the pressure. And I know what it's like. I really do. I sit here with. A huge amount, not only respect for Chris Wilkes, but sympathy as well. When when you've got former fast bowlers or former cricketers talking about your place and you're the next one that everybody's talking about to be at the side, it's a horrible, it's a lonely place to be. You don't want to let go of the ball because you, you're always second-guessing yourself. Fortunately, I think that's where Chris is at. The Parkinson one, England were being desperate in these two games to have a, a leg spinner in their side with 500 on the, 500 on the board and you know, three hundred and fifty on the, the the games in Antigua. So he's going to bowl some. He's going to bowl some dross. He's going to bowl hit pie full tosses. But if you put runs on the board, who cares? Jack needs 90, to 94 overs in that last match. You got six wickets. Three of them were ranked long hops. You got three wickets were ranked long, but were average balls. Matt Parkinson is going to bowl average balls. That's what leg spinners. Well, apart from the great Shane Warren, that's what the leg leg spinners do. So, yeah. I, 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 We've had a we've had a quick look at Mahmoud and Fisher. Why not have a look at, at Parkinson? We're not getting twenty wickets anywhere at this minute in time, so let's try something that that might get us uh, without the Mark Wood. That might be able to finish a tail off. And okay, so Parkinson's. we're going.
3: You're you're going same same top seven, and so then you've got uh, what Parkinson Overton. It'll be it'll
4: be f- my my team. And it won't be my, it won't happen, but my team would be Fisher Mahmood Parkinson Leach with Ben Stokes. I put a huge amount of pressure on Ben Stokes. And I know I was shouting at the radio and shouting at the TV when Joe Root bowled him into the ground at the end of Antigua trying to win a game. But there's a break between now and the end of this test match. There's a break for a lot of these players. Ben Stokes is physically in as good a shape as I've seen him for a long time. I'd ask him to have one big push because I'd want him to, he would be the spearhead of, of an attack, which would have two very, very inexperienced seam bowlers. But for me, it would be refreshing to go in with that group and say, Do you know what? We came out here trying to win a test series. We've had two goals at winning a test match. Couldn't get 20 wickets. I'm going to try and bowl. I'm not going to pick 78 mile an hour. If, they pick, if you're picking Robinson, if you're leaving Wokes out, there's no point picking Robinson and Overton because they're exactly the same. Let's go for something a little bit different, pierce through the air. They're not the quickest, but they're the quickest we've got. And I'd go with the three seam bowlers of Mahmoud Fisher and Stokes. And I'd pick Parkinson to knock the tail over. Eight, nine, 10, 11. And get Parkinson turning the ball both ways. You've seen Leach. We've asked Leach to first time in a long time. He's held an end up by doing the basic things, by bowling line and length. You'd have to do that again. And I think that would be... That would be a refreshing outlook of how we come on this trip and how far we've come, picking the young bowlers and batting unit that scored runs. I think we go back ticked a lot of boxes.
3: We've done. We've been on air for something like thirty-eight minutes. It's the first time in a month that we've um, gone this far without mentioning Broaden Anderson. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, so it's great, isn't it? (laughs) Would they? Would they have made any difference?
4: Uh, Yeah, definitely. No question whatsoever. Their experience would have made difference. Them being on the field would have made difference. A, lot of, a lot's been talked about, you know, the great late Shane Warne. And whenever you were in Warney's company on the field, there was something happening. And it was largely down to because the opposition were the opposition were apprehensive. The opposition had this, this fear of greatness. Broughton Anderson and of greatness. And Jimmy would have bowled 50 overs. 50 overs and gone for 75, but he would have got a breakthrough. Seen the spells he bowled in Chennai when he when he he opened that game up for us you know, in Ahmedabad again. Broadly, time after time, you question that you question that lad, and he keeps coming back with spells that just breaks the game open. No, the know how to the know how to bowl on every given surface, no matter what it is. They would have moaned like you'd not believe on the wickets that they are because that's what greatness does, but. They would have made a difference, but Fisher and Mahmood playing this last Test match, and England managed to win the series, go home one nil, after scoring over three fifty and you know getting a five hundred. And the player, the two young bowlers have had two Test matches. They go into they go positively into the summer, and then you bring your two greats back in and around the group, and English cricket with a red ball starting to go somewhere. At the minute, it's teetering, and I think. Got, they have got they've got they're on the verge of doing something special out here and then you took the greats back into the group with one of the fast bowlers coming back in pool of red ball players is getting bigger and that's what we tried to achieve when we come out here
3: we've also gone deep into this show without mentioning the IPL which is also good news for me but I have to ask you um, a piece of breaking news which you may not have known it just it's it amuses me. It tickles me. Do you know who Mark Wood's replacement is at the Gujarat Lions? they have been uh, no, desperately looking around. Have you seen who they signed? No. Blessing Muzarabani. Who? <laughs> Blessing Muzarabani.
4: Well, he's not Mark Wood. I know that, and he's not any. He'll not be anywhere near as fearsome as Mark Wood. And he's got that Mark Wood's not not going to be a chance to play in the IPL. He'll be fit for the summer, for the start of the summer, and it's heartbreaking that he's missing out because. If we had him for the first test match, we would have won. If we had him for the second test match, we definitely would have won. Might not have played in the third test match if we were winning, but it is it is heartbreaking. But no, I've not really heard of that. That he's bowler a, from.
3: He's a. He, I think he's 25 years old. He's six foot seven. He's from Zimbabwe and he's the second Zimbabwean to uh, be signed in the IPL because Tender Taibu was signed by the Kolkata Knight Riders in their first season. But um that was uh, because um he was friends with Shah Rukh Khan. Uh, he never played a game. So yeah, look out for Blessing Mazar Blessing Mazarabani. He's um six foot seven. I mean, he's the polar opposite of uh, Mark Wood. He's he's not particularly quick, he's extremely tall. And uh he's put in some some decent performances, but the Gujarat Lions went everywhere. They've uh, tried three or four fast bowlers, so poor old blessings. Feeling like uh very much a reserve. <laughs>
4: <laughs> well, you get paid, so you'd be over the moon. Oh,
3: yeah, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Those US dollars will go a long way in Zimbabwe. Okay, um, you can hear live ball by ball commentary exclusively here on uh talk sport two, the third and final test. Between the West Indies and England, and it starts from 1 pm on Thursday afternoon. And it's time now for the Breaking the Boundaries feature with the Institute of Cricket. David Smith.
0: Breaking Boundaries on Talksport 2 with the Institute of Cricket. For the best chance of making it in professional cricket, you need to train with us. Find out more at instituteofcricket.com.
3: David, thanks uh, once again for your time. Always a, a pleasure to talk to you. Um, I guess the the one question that has um, been on my mind for you is after a couple of boring draws in in test matches or in fact after one boring draw <laughs> there are always people who say oh well how are we going to inspire the kids with that kind of you know cricket i mean it's it's well i guess you're the right man to ask because um you coach more kids in england than, than anybody else or oh, the institute of cricket does is it true, do you think? I mean, do, do kids look at Adele Testament and think, oh, well, I'm I'm going to play football then?
2: I think it it helps at the moment that it starts during the kids' school time. But uh, <laughs> I think that's where it goes back to developing that love of the game, isn't it? You know, ultimately, it's about we've, we've started that journey with children at the age of four, five and six. And I, I think by the time they get to watching Test cricket, they're hooked and they love it, regardless of what format or what you know, what shape it's in. Um, I think that's that's the, cri- the the critical part of what we're trying to do. It's everybody's going to find their their sort of level in cricket, whether that's test, uh, test match level, whether that's just playing for their local cricket club in their third or fourth team. And you know, if they love th- if they love that, then that's really is the most important thing. So I don't I don't necessarily think it matters. You know, once you're hooked on cricket, I think that's it. In the February half term. David, did you, were, you, were you getting the, the, you know, the, the
4: camps and the groups ready for the test series of, of West Indies versus England? And I'm sure them kids are now going, my coach is lying to me because he would be yeah. telling them how exciting it is. This is going to be great. What were the success stories of the, the half term? And what were you working on leading into the series, into this, this season?
2: Yeah, I think it's it's always a little bit of a, a harder time of the season. You know, when you get to February half term, the children are really excited. The weather starts to get a little bit better, like it is now. You know, everyone's looking forward to the season starting, but you've still got that six to eight week period of technical work that you can still be doing. So, yeah, I think you've got to balance out the the fundamental skills of the, the technical work, but also making sure that the children come away from the camp having had a lot of fun every day. Um, that's ultimately what's going to bring them back the next day and, and, you know, get them wanting to continue to play in the game. So, yeah, like I said, it's just about that love of the game and, and you know, trying to just have fun with it really and not, not make it too, you know, too serious at times.
3: David, I must say, um, I don't think that uh, a dr- five days of a drawn test match is a disincentive at all. And I remember very clearly ha- lots of kids when I was when I was very young, starting to play cricket, who just loved to bat. And they would just bat and bat and bat. And you know what? I think Craig Brathwaite, who batted for half the test match, is an absolute inspiration.
2: Yeah, I mean, actually, we uh, I, I've been on a couple of tours out to Barbados, playing in the uh, took a team out there to represent uh, or play in the Cigarfield Sobers Tournament, which is quite a popular tournament out in Barbados. And and Craig Braithwaite was playing for Combermere School. And they're a, they're a really, really strong cricketing uh, school in, in Barbados. And he was, he was churning out hundreds at, you know, a very young age. Uh, and, you know, he is quite a an inspiration I think in terms of test match batting definitely he's got a history across his career of churning out hundred after hundred and and he's doing it now at the the highest level you know it's a fair play to him.
3: David um, a couple of days ago um, Matt Pryor and Alex Tudor spoke with great great passion and there's a podcast um, of their conversation about the cost of cricket the burden that it places on on parents, um, and, and let's be honest, I mean, you know, cricket isn't the cheapest game, but they felt that the pathways programs at, at many of the counties were so overpriced um, that it it penalised really really talented children and prevented them from uh, from getting into the game. Your thoughts on that?
2: look I mean I've I know that the the financial models of football and cricket are completely different but I've always been a massive advocate for you know when you get to that point of playing for your county you shouldn't have to pay a fortune to do that I'm I really am a massive believer in that and I know that harmy has got children that are on the pathway as well and You know, you you end up and I've got friends that have children that are part of it. You're looking at 200, 300 pounds for a summer plus your kit. And then you've got all your winter coaching. And and then obviously, you know, the time that parents take out of work to travel and and go around the country. It is expensive. You know, it is expensive. And I don't know what I don't know whether the ECB could subsidize that more to make it more um, affordable for parents, you know, because it is it is expensive. You know, when, when you get to that level, which, you know, in my mind is almost you've you should be rewarded at that stage. You've reached a real high level of cricket in your your travelling journey. Um, and then you're having to pay a real premium for it. And you know, so I, I sort of have uh, always advocated for, for counties to be able to offer that as cheaply as possible.
4: Yeah, I'm hundred percent with that. I think cricket is an expensive game. It is a very expensive game and the amount of money that the E C B make and counties do make a lot me I do make a good chunk of money, I think it should be, you shouldn't have to be sort of financially crippled. Because let's be fair, a lot of a lot of families will be when it comes to the little Johnny getting into the county side, which is so proud from a family point of view. But it's going to cost them and the cost of living in, in, in our country is, is is rising all the time. So I do believe the ECB should help. I do believe counties should help. It shouldn't cost you from a coaching point of view to get into your counties a representative age groups. And that is something I think Matt Pryor, he threw it out on Twitter and then backed it up with what he said in, our, in the podcast the other day brilliantly well. And from, from that going forward, is there any way that we can look to get the, the sort of more underprivileged kids into to the game without it costing a ridiculous amount of money? Because it just seems that they're the ones that are, are suffering and we're not reaching everybody in our country.
2: Yeah, no, I th- I think it's I think it's a great point. Now I'm sure that counties all would offer bursaries to individual you know, players on you know different circumstances. I just think at the moment mm-hmm. the the model across all counties, and I, I hope that it will start to change over the next two to three years, is that you know they realise and understand that not everybody can afford, you know, the, the latest equipment or the latest kit, or we're changing our kit sponsor, so everybody's got to spend another two hundred pounds on clothing because You know, every no parent wants to send their child out to play and represent the county with last year's clothing on, but it may be a financial difficulty that they just cannot do it. I think the model has to change for, you know, county cricket across the country. I think that's that's a simple fact. And whether the ECB looks to fund that or, you know, offer more, more, you know, or bring the the cost of playing matches down, I think, you know, we are gonna start penalising people that's financial situations don't allow them to do it if we can't look at that change of model.
3: And David, finally, what's coming up at the Institute of Cricket? And uh, just remind us the best way to contact you and how people can find you.
2: Yeah, so yeah, very busy, uh, very busy Easter coming up. Uh, Lots of camps running across the country. Uh, Instituteofcricket.com or completecricket.co.uk is where you can find all the latest information.
3: David Smith, thank you very much indeed for your support and uh, and your time. Have a good Easter.
2: No worries. Thank you, guys.
3: Cheers. That was David Smith from the Institute of Cricket. And that was the Breaking the Boundaries feature with the Institute of Cricket. Breaking Boundaries on TalkSport 2 with the
0: Institute of Cricket. For the best chance of making it in professional cricket, you need to train with us. Find out more at instituteofcricket.com toss, said it nearly carried to the hands of mid-wicket. But England get over the line just and the celebrations from Anja Shrubsoll tells everything about how tense it was. New Zealand fought seriously hard in that last half hour. But it's a sense of relief from England and huge disappointment from New Zealand. We've just
2: got to take it a game at a time, which is what we've, I think, been doing really well so far is, you know, we've been playing muslim cricket now for a week and it's just about ticking things off as we go. So the fact that we've got those first two wins is so important to us, um, and we've got two more must-win games to come. So, um, yeah, it's, it, it's been a difficult tournament for us. It's obviously not gone how it's, we wanted it to or how we envisaged that it would, but I think we're starting to just pick ourselves up at the right time.
3: That was England's and Talk Sports' Kate Cross talking about a thrilling, thrilling victory by one wicket heartbreak for new zealand the hosts uh they were eliminated from the, the uh, women's world cup england scraping by my goodness me they lost their first three games they then needed to win their next four and they've they're on course because uh, their last two games are against pakistan and bangladesh who are propping up um, the table but that i mean this this tournament harmy has been i think unprecedented in any icc event for the number of you know, victories by two or three runs, one or two wickets, and the number of games that have gone to the last over—that was just. I'm I'm glad I only saw highlights. You know, I knew the result when I saw the highlights, mm-hmm. and I'm still nervous.
4: No, no, it was. We 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 got the highlights over here as well, and it's great for the women's team, England women's team. That the the they're just hanging on desperately to to the, make the make the semi-finals, and if we get to the semi-finals, you, you've got to fancy them because they've been playing knockout cricket ever since the the third round game or the third round robin game. So when you see the the results and some of the performances in the tournament, I think it just shows you how much women's cricket is getting better around the world because there was two teams, three teams, and then everybody else was just getting left behind. Now, because there's a lot more financial resources going into the women's game, there's a lot better coaching going into the game and it's been taken a little bit more seriously, then what what you're finding is other countries are now getting better and they're, they're, they're gradually getting closer and closer together. So I think that's great for the women's game. Probably the, the best thing about the 100 this year has, and you know, this last year was the women's section of it rather than the men's section. Um, and our teams, our other countries get around the world getting better because they're throwing more financial resources at it and they're getting better coaching. So that's got to enhance the women's game. And by looking at some of the results, seeing some of the performances in the World Cup, who would have thought New Zealand would have getting would have getting knocked out? Who would have thought England would have been even in, even England might get knocked out um, before the semi-finals? But I think you've got to fancy England if they do get to the semi-finals because of their experience in big tournament play and they've been playing knockout cricket for quite a while now.
3: Well, the tournament has looked from the from the off as a straight contest between seven teams for who can get beaten by Australia in the final, um, yeah. and. <laughs> And at, at, at this stage, England have given themselves a chance. Now, um, Sri Lanka cricket apparently, in advance, we hear from a reliable source, in advance talks with Chris Silverwood to sign him as head coach. I think, and I know that you. I mean, I, I've I've told you on on and off air. I think Chris Silverwood has uh, given several hospital passes um, when he was coach. I think he was on an absolute hiding to nothing. Uh, with the Ash, and then to, to be put in charge of selection as well. I just think it was, it was too much. But I like that. I mean, you know, I, I can't put my finger on, on why, but um, I think without the pressure of, of Ashes cricket and, and, uh, and the, you know, the, I don't know, I, I just, I like that. I like that idea. And I think he'd do really well.
4: I'm sure he will. And he's, he's a good man, Spoons. He's a, he's a really, really good man. And a good coach
3: too. We know that. he's a good
4: coach. Yeah, good coach. I think that's a given. If you get given a coach's job at at the top end, you are a you are a good coach. You've worked, you you've done your apprenticeship to get to the top, and you don't do that by by not being a, a good coach or a good bloke that goes with it. And that's what Chris Silverwood is. And I'd like to see him get the Schalke job. You'll gain a huge amount of experience doing it. I think Schalke are getting better as well. We've got a lot of younger players who are coming into the game who are who are getting better and they'll they'll start being more of a force. They've had a, a little transition since the likes of Jai Wardner and Sangakara and Murley all they all left at the same time. And I think they're trying, obviously trying to rebuild. And I think Chris Silverwood will do a good job there without the pressure of England coach. And I couldn't agree more. The hospital passes he got were ridiculous. It was like, well, we've got to get rid of Ed Smith. So how do we get rid of Ed Smith? Well, we'll put the whole job on one man. And unfortunately, yeah, it was Chris Silverwood's Chris Silverwood's shoulder. And that's why he's not, he's not coaching England anymore. And I think I mentioned it really earlier on that I thought the dynamics was the wrong way around when Silverwood and Collingwood, that dynamic, I thought it, it, it should have been that Collingwood was in charge and not Chris Silverwood, because I think it would work, it would have worked a lot a lot better. Somebody who's ruthless, somebody who's got a streak about him. I didn't really see that in Silverwood. I just see him just a, a nice man who's a good coach, but with ridiculous amount of jobs to do.
3: Thanks, Harmy. Enjoy the third test. Enjoy Grenada. You've been listening to The Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. Reminder, you can hear live and exclusive ball-by-ball commentary of the third test uh, between England and the West Indies here on TalkSport 2 from 1pm on Thursday. We'll be back, uh, Harmy and me, next week to look back at that and look ahead to the IPL. Our favourite subject. This has been the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2.
0: Now hold that, please. Level 5. Thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns.
1: Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you.
0: Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to Ertz and the bipassal Rise plug sale.
1: The most important thing is what? Sorry.
0: The single most important thing is to Ertz and the channel has been Bingus at the bypassal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine.
1: Uh, yeah, that sounds
2: important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how.
0: At TalkSport, we absolutely love it when our fans get stuck in.